Hello, welcome back to season two of the Faith in Development podcast brought to you by Tear Fund. I am Sabine Hunsi, your host for this conversation. For today's episode, we'll be having a slight change in the schedule. You'll now be able to hear from my colleagues Francesca Quirk and Mary Tamari discussing social norms and gender transformation in episode six. But as March is the month in which we celebrate International Women's Day, I sat down with Vina O'Sullivan, TFN's International Director, to mark the occasion. Vina has worked at TFN for over 18 years and has previously led our work on HIV, sexual and gender-based violence and peace building. As you will hear, Vina is a pioneer in many ways. We talk about women and the kinds of leadership this world needs. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Good morning, Zina. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Sabine. Lovely to see you. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with me this morning. So we are in March, right? And uh, I consider this month to be a month where we celebrate women, their achievements, and also uh, really look at how we move forward conversation around gender equality, not just in tier fund, but also in our own personal spheres. And I could not think of a better person to speak with than you, Vina, <laughs> given your vast right. uh, professional experience and also um, what you have accomplished um, and achieved as a leader. So thank you so much for being here. As a way of uh, introducing uh, yourself, you know, introduction for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your background and, and, and perhaps how you, how you came to work in the international development world. <laughs> okay, I'll try and keep that short. So <laughs> I come from the country that is shocking when it comes to issues of gender and status of women. Uh, but I grew up in a contrary home. So uh, I'm from India. Uh, grew up in a home though, where my father, from when I was a little girl, always said, you don't even, you don't need to worry about men. You can do it, you know? So I've never, ever thought I need to be worried about the opposite gender. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with that sense of, that innate sense of believing that I'm equal. And it was, I didn't realize till much later how different that was to almost pretty much every other girlfriend around me. So I have to say, you know, massive thanks to my dad and my mom, who probably was just went along with him. So I, I suppose in that sense, I, I cannot take credit for a lot of in terms of how I'm wired or how I think, um, because the foundations were laid. Mm. I didn't have much to do with that. I just probably enjoyed that sense of security and knowing and believing. Um, mm. I grew up uh, also in a home in those times, right? So I'm I'm quite old. So <laughs> not so old <laughs> compared to people like you. I'm very old. And you know, when India was quite different to what India is now. So um, I grew up at a time really when um, issues of gender were not even talked about. They were just 
taken for granted that, okay, the man will do this and the woman will do this. And, you know, no one ever spoke about stuff like that. So to think that at a time that I grew up with that sense of liberation and is even more extraordinary. And, you know, having lived in the Western part of the world uh, in, in Europe for the last, what, 23 years now, I have been more shocked about how, because I thought the West is the one that's really way ahead. Uh, I, I've been shocked about actually, geez, this Indian girl, this experience has been so way ahead compared to some of the other girls and women around me. I, in terms of my, so I was um, actually uh, my study and all of that was in, in design, um, but I had uh, a life-changing uh, experience uh, in all kinds of ways from coming to the Christian faith, mm -hmm. from a Hindu faith, uh, coming, moving from design, which I was passionate about and loved and thoroughly enjoyed and to become an activist, that happened really fully when I came to the Christian faith. Mm. And I cannot, again, I cannot take credit, like for most things in my life, I cannot take credit for that because it was just a phenomenal series of events that brought me to a place where I was asked to lead, but I felt God say, okay, I have a different plan for you. And I found myself being asked to lead a whole design campaign for uh, HIV. Mm. I was always an activist, though. I would be protesting. You'd find me as a teenager protesting about all kinds of things, even being taken, you know, arrested-ish, not put in prison, <laughs> but dragged to the jail twice for protesting. As a, as a young girl? As a... as a teenager, always hanging out with children who lived on the street. Um, so, but I realized all of that much later that I just mm -hmm. felt so strongly about some things. And you know, the most uh, incredible thing about God is I think he creates each one knowing how he's created us. And somehow, you know, we find a home as part of his kingdom. Mm. Just being and just being and in the way we've been created. And I, that's the only way I can say that I got involved with um, issues of justice for people with HIV now going mm. into the early 90s. Wow. So I guess your life experience, how you grew up, and even those arrests that you, you know, being arrested as a young girl, all of these things really prepared you for the work around contagious issues here at Tear Fund. I guess in times when it was not popular in the sector, uh, especially in faith spaces. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, you know, your work around HIV, how all of that started and, and some of the, I guess, challenges that you might have faced as you thought about uh, this work. You know, call, call me crazy or naive or even stupid maybe. Mm -hmm. I just believe, right? One of the things because coming to meeting with Jesus and, you know, there's a whole, my life at that time was crazy. Not just me, me and my family. We were going through an extraordinarily, almost like crazy time on all fronts. And, and I think what God did with us because me and my family, 
we all came to faith within three months, right? Was we just, God had to do the miraculous because that was the only way he knew that he'd get all of us. And so that, that drama has continued for me. My relationship with God is like that. I, I just believe, and I'm not even thinking, and not even thinking about the consequences, the how do I express this? Who do I go to? So it is just purely based on, okay, I believe this is right. And I don't care if they fire me, I don't care because this is what I think God wants me to do. Mm. And I also know when I say that there is no arrogance, I'm not feeling arrogant like I know what God wants me to do. But I think, so God, 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 if I'm wrong, rescue me. But God, if I'm right, enable me mm. all that I need. So, th so that's kind of how I think I live my life. Mm. So in Tear Fund and outside Tear Fund. So in Tear Fund, Tear Fund was quite a strange place for me to come into as a new Christian. Mm. And also, you know, a British Christian charity. I'd only worked in... NGO activist world back home, uh, all, all kinds of things, culture shock, shock of how people worshipped or didn't worship or expressed or didn't express. And when I came to Tear Fund, I was the second non-white person in the office. Mm -hmm. All kinds of shocks, right? But I was fixated about what I thought God wanted me to do. So I didn't see much beyond that. Mm -hmm. But when you look back, when you look back, you realize, and it, I can only say it must have been God's protection mm -hmm. that I could see a lot of that. Because if I saw a lot of that and, you know, picked up on a lot of that where people were, didn't want to do anything about HIV or thought, oh, this Indian girl who, who is always looking for a hot discussion, you know, all kinds of things. I think that would have scared me or mm -hmm. it would have um, broken me even but I didn't see all of that. But I saw it when I look back. Like, mm. oh my gosh, people said this to me and, you know, the way people treated me or the way, yeah. But, mm. but, but it was, I was too far gone. <laughs> and <that's it. laughs> and, and it took courage, I guess, you know. I think courage is when you consciously make a decision to act against the norm. Mm. I, because I didn't see it like that because I was so kind of caught up with my commitment to people, people who were my best friends living with HIV at that time. Mm. It didn't feel like that. Mm -hmm. Others saw it like that, mm -hmm. but not, I didn't see it like that. Yeah. And I think the one of the best tricks, now I'll say best tricks in my book is, is that I surrounded myself with people uh, people who were living with HIV, mm. who were theologians, who were pastors, who were worship leaders, you know, they are the best ones to speak. So that's what Tear Fund is committed to, the church yeah. and people of, uh, you know, of church. So if they are saying this, how can we say something else? Mm, absolutely. I remember I mean, I've been a Tear Fund for quite some time as well. And I remember when you were heading the HIV unit and I was not in that team at the time. But I remember passing by and looking at this team thinking, wow, they do amazing work. You know, it's really heavy stuff. It's really contagious. But what an amazing work um, that you're doing. Um, 
I've been looking at, you know, as someone coming from, from India, when you look at the media and people in international development, um, so the, the people that the international development is meant to serve, so people in Africa, in Asia, and the Americas, I think there's a certain narrative that comes through, a narrative about women, especially women who look like you and I, so who are black and brown. Um, we are often described as weak, hopeless, helpless, as though that there's no sense of agency at all about us. And looking at my own life and the women around me and the community, this narrative is really alien to me because, you know, of course there is patriarchy at work, you know, there is violence against women and girls, but there are also stories of leadership and driving change in the community that I have seen. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, you know, what have been your experience working with women, especially women as leaders and change makers? Yeah, and that, that's, you know, it's really important to understand the depth of that, Sabine, because I think, you know, a lot of the a lot of the narratives uh, of, around leadership are completely male-dominated narratives. Yeah. Like what, 95% of the top uh, 500 Fortune uh, CEOs um, are men. So they're the successful men and therefore this is what effective leadership is like. It is a male leadership that they're talking about. Mm. You look at leaders of nations and, you know, to, I think even last year, there are, if you look at the heads of state and government across the world, only 22 countries had women. Yeah. A crazy country like my own has had a woman, female prime minister long ago, a country like Pakistan, Bangladesh. Now this is contrary, right? To what the world would imagine. You think the, the US would have as, as, a, you know, as a progressive rich country, they haven't had a head of state who is a woman. Mm. So I think you and I are part of the world where effective leadership is defined, they won't say it, really, <laughs> as male leadership. That's right. But they're, that is so not true. If you look at power, men dominate globally. Mm. If you look at domination of women, it's in care. That's right we are going through one of the, well, for our generations, right? We are going through a phenomenally difficult time, almost in every country around the world. Mm. We need a domination of a caring kind of leadership. Mm. We have very little of that. We have very little of that. Now, I think in, in, in even in tier fund, the kind of leadership a woman brings, of course, now you look at the executive team, it's predominantly women, right? And at the ET, so changes are happening. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we can talk about gender alone, although gender is so important. We can't talk about gender alone. We have to talk about the diversity of what it means to be a woman, a woman mm -hmm. of color, and mm -hmm. a woman of all kinds of color. Because the way you would lead is rich and wonderful and different to the way I would lead. Mm -hmm. Both are good. Can we acknowledge that? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we do that? 
how do we do that when the storm is this way, when the force is defining effectiveness in a certain kind of way? Mm. Critical for us in Tier Fund to understand how the emergence of leadership is happening and how do we want it to happen as we ourselves transition from being a UK-based organization to a global one. Mm. We're taking baby steps. We've, we want to hear, we want to hear, but it's gonna take a phenomenal sensitivity, honesty, drive to move to being truly global mm -hmm. so that women and men can thrive in every place in this organization. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so as a pioneer of some of the most successful work uh, with churches and faith communities um, here at Tear Fund, you know, tackling sensitive issues, uh, so we know that you've uh, you sort of pioneered our HIV work, uh, which then gave way to our sexual and gender-based violence. What was the vision for this work? Uh, and where did the desire for Tear Fund to engage in this work come from? I don't know if you remember this, but uh, a few years uh, ago, you facilitated a session around um, vision during the Growing Leaders course at Tear Fund. So I was part of that uh, course. And you talked about... Uh, things like, I think there were three words. You talked about insight, foresight, and maybe oversight. I can't remember the third word. But during that session, what really stayed with me was the importance of listening in, leaning in into prompts around you. So the current situation, the environment that you're in, as well as what's coming. So you are now Tier Fund's international director. So looking back, how did you make I suppose a personal conviction. So you were talking about it earlier, right? You got a sense that, you know, some things are wrong and you really, you know, that's what was driving you. So how did you make a personal conviction into an organizational vision? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, obviously it's a very personal journey, right? So I, uh, so I don't want anyone to think this is the only way at all. Sure. But for me, I think, because I, I, when I kind of fell into the development space, I knew I came without education in this area. I came without any of the qualifications or experience even, right? So I had, I totally only knew, okay, God has something here for me. So I had to really lean in, lean in and trust. Intuition became huge, my gut instinct. But holding that gut instinct, precious and light, precious mm. because feeling is so much and I'm a feeler and light because I could be wrong. I could have a sense of grandiose, maybe. I didn't want to be, I was so, I don't want to be in that wrong place, God. And I, it would always consume me. And when something consumed me, then I, I would say, okay, I'm, I'm going to give it my all, not knowing you know, and story of my life, I, I don't plan anything, right? So not knowing mm -hmm. where this could go. But if this is of God, I have no problem talking about it with anyone, anyone finding allies. I've also never done things on my own. Mm -hmm. I've always had to find community to do things with. 
because that's how I've learned the best. That's how mm. I've learned the deepest as well. So, so in HIV and sexual violence, I just had to go to the people, say, you know, the women that, you know, I moved to South Africa and Tiffan was, I went to Matthew Frost, our CEO, and said, I'm really feeling this, but I would understand if this is not for tear fund, I feel like we have to do something about the rape of women in war and sexual violence in war. And, but I want to go and really figure this out because I have a lot to learn. And so he let me go and I chose uh, South Africa because it was a country with the highest uh, incidence of rape. Mm. Um, and also it was a country where tear fund wasn't really known. So I could quietly see if I could if this is what I could rally women around this, if this is what they wanted. If the women I met then said, oh, we, we're not, we don't want to do anything, I would have given up because mm. no point. They, if they feel they want it, then I'm an ally. I'm right in there and I will do anything, you know, to make it happen for you. And also I wanted to see if I could rally the church to come along because um, to see if they could become the safe spaces that the women wanted, mm. you know? So I think intuition is a big one. And then acting on the intuition and rallying people, inspiring others to show solidarity and, you know, more than solidarity, even when women believe they can trust you mm. and then they can lean on you. For me, in the, I'm talking about women really in the context of the sexual violence work mm -hmm. or people at HIV felt they could trust me. I was... I was the only, if back home, our uh, state's uh, network of people with HIV, I was the only person who did not have HIV was part of the network. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> it was like a special place. They allowed me <laughs> to be part of it and I'd proudly walk around living with HIV, living positive yes. uh, t-shirts and stuff. So people thought I had HIV as well. Mm. But I think when people trust you, it's an incredible honor and an incredible responsibility. Nothing will stop you after mm. that. You'll go, you'll find, you know, with sexual violence, as you know, you've been with me on that journey, knock on any door, be it the foreign office, be it the UN, you know, doors open, God makes it happen. Mm -hmm. But intuition and really holding it precious and light mm -hmm. uh, are big things. And same thing, even in this role, right? It's, um, I have to hold what is precious and precious and treat it that way and hold what is light lightly. Wow, no, that is a, that's amazing. I think I, I have I have really witnessed again working closely with you. I have witnessed the power of bringing people on board and really centering people at the heart of the work and not seeing them as as just numbers, but as real people, people who have names, who have families, people who are your friends. Yeah. And I think that has been part of really the successful story um, for TFN. And I think. Uh, it's not just in terms of the work. I mean, I have been in your team as well. And I think, you know, when you talk about intuition and trust, I think there's something about trusting someone that yeah. gives them wings, I think, you know, right? Okay. <laughs> you know, so you trust someone and they're able to do to do things. And, and I think you have been, you, that is, a, I guess, a special gift that you, you have as, as a leader, but also as a, um, yeah, as a wonderful woman. Oh, Sabine, that's but look at the truth. Like God says, right? You will be able to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. That means you, you, you are working as an administrator, you know, True. everyone is able. Mm. And how do we enable that force 
mm-hmm. uh, to, mm-hmm. to really for us as an organization to release, to equip, to enable, to encourage trust. You know, yeah. of course, trust is earned. Uh, when it's given, you hold precious and you receive and you respond. Mm. Fundamentally, each and everyone is able. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you think about the journey then from working with women and girls and men and boys in the context of sexual and gender based violence, and also the leaders, can you share um, some of the gains you think <laughs> we have made or even challenges that we, we've had to really grapple with? Uh, over the years around the work um, of sexual and gender-based violence? I think, it, you know, and it feels, uh, I, I'm conscious that me saying it is, you know, you, you can't blow your own trumpet. It's not my trumpet to blow, but I genuinely think this is one of the most successful things that we've done. And I don't mean success just in terms of attracting uh big donors or things like successful because it's one of the hardest things to change Mm. deep-rooted belief that when you know in so many of our places where where they believe scripture says that women are lesser than men Mm. to see that change to see the flourishing of women and Sabine you know we've been in places as well but like Burundi was my last one my goodness me when just to see that force for change for good not leaving men out but men with women yeah that that is god's kingdom you know, when they work together like that my gosh the things they can do together the you know the power of the next generation that that they are modeling for that's that's incredible i think we've we've seen that we've seen I think it's always challenging in an organization like Tier Fund where a lot of the leaders, you know, like with a lot of people sitting in the UK who don't experience what you and I've had the mm. joy and privilege of experience and being with these kinds of journeys with people in the countries where we work. Sometimes it doesn't translate. It doesn't compute because experience trumps anything that you would read, right? Mm. But let's see, let's look at the uh, impact that that work has had. It's had phenomenal impact because it brought us directly in relationship with the foreign office, the UK foreign office. Going back, Mm. we got to influence what William Hague said. That's right. The government, we wrote six lines. That's right. Of his speech. We got to bring our church leaders into dialogue and reach an agreement about how they, in any country that the UK government works, they will be involved. They, of course, they funded us in many places. And we, we got church leaders to inspire the church leaders. Hmm. So I think if I look at my, you know, I lived in South Africa, I left South Africa in 2015. And this is a microcosm of the success of you know, and success, again, I don't want to talk about success in the way, again, male-dominated effectiveness is possible. But when, if you look at the, whatever we got, we got over 3,000, maybe even 5,000 now women as part of the survivor movement. Yeah. And they will send me photos on WhatsApp about what they've achieved. Women who were raped and sitting at home, like Numpilo, who you know. Yeah. Wow, my God, a force for change, speaking all over the world, Esperande, mm-hmm. who was, quiet now PhD she's like one of the most popular speakers and you know key influencers we don't even know where all she travels and goes yes (laughs) 
how incredible is that? Mm. In Tear Fund, we talk about Jesus calling us and to follow him into places of greatest poverty, greatest need. When we saw the kind of broken women we saw even in Mali, mm. we followed, we followed Jesus in the way we understood, right? You and me that time, I remember that trip. And, and if they are flourishing, and if their faces are shining with joy, not with anger, not with unforgiveness, but they are exuding joy and peace and power. Mm. That's what we've gained. I wish we, we could look more. I wish all of Tiofan could look more and feel it, experience it, and find ways to communicate it uh, far more than what we've managed. So we, that is where I feel, oh, there's phenomenal stuff but how do we package it and how do we share it and how do we you know it's like fire how do we set everyone on fire mm. that's the bit that we are I don't think we've figured out to its fullest mm -hmm. you and I had that fire though so yeah <laughs> no absolutely absolutely and I think uh... It's been it's been an incredible journey, to be honest. Um, it's been beautiful. I think it's been both challenging and changing. Um, I know I have been personally changed um, sitting with women in Mali, in Chad, in Sierra Leone, and just hearing stories. And yeah, it's it's been it's been wonderful. It's been really life life changing. And I think, as you're saying, you need to actually experience it to fully understand the extent of the of the work. Um, that has been accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, effectiveness of this kind of leadership means you have communities where caring, expressing love, affection, sharing dominates. Mm. It may, you know, it even dominates in the GDP, the savings that those communities have. That's right. But I think we have to redefine that kind of effectiveness. Mm, yeah which, which we need in this world desperately at this time yeah absolutely so as we think about care <laughs> and you know how we look after ourselves as women with many caring responsibility that we often have I mean looking at COVID when COVID hit us we have seen how the burden of care still landed on women and girls around the world yeah. um, even though we were all at home, men and women, yeah. but the care still landed on women. And some sectors would have collapsed actually without yeah. care work. So as we care for others, what does it mean to care for ourselves? And have you mastered the art of self-care? <laughs> I would love to hear some tips. <laughs> oh, Sabine, you know, you know me so well though. So <laughs> Absolute fail, but I absolute fail, but I, I've I've not been broke broken down. Mm. You know, uh, as you know, like I, I spend a lot of my time away from home. Yeah. Um, and I it does come at a cost, but it's a cost that account I count it as privilege, even though it does come at a cost. And we, you know, we make we make choices. Some of it, others would say you make sacrifices. I think I've made a choice. Mm. Uh, uh, definitely, as as my husband, as of my kids, who probably years down the road may turn around and say, that was your choice, mom, not ours, but they're totally, you know, in sync. Anyway, their life seems to go on. Mm. Um, so I, in terms of 
care and self-care i i do think one is one thing i've had to do is really know myself mm. know what i need know how far i can go uh know when i'm getting into a not good space so real deep uh self-awareness is something that i i haven't mastered i i'm constantly aware of and my best check are my other fellow women right they mm. we talk that's the joy of being a community of women we talk we we can tell each other we are sensitive to one another you know sabine as a mother of two boys as well yeah. what it means and as a person who loves cooking for her family mm-hmm. what it means to you know every time i traveled i used to cook and freeze food for the entire time i was away i remember that was me too <laughs> yeah we just do it i uh, because that's what you do my husband yeah. becoming a better cook according to my boys so i'm not doing that anymore yeah uh, that's how it is so we have to really learn from one another i think uh yeah. about how to do that we have to stop being uh, you know feeling i i have to stop let me just stop saying we and say i i have to stop feeling guilty because that still comes mm. me being away and oh gosh i'm not being the carer my and my mother my mother will make me feel you know women are the worst with one another as well mm-hmm. we are the best she will make me feel guilty mm. every time she'll say oh you poor things you're leaving them how can oh. you you know we are we are our worst sometimes you yeah. know and how we raise our sons how we yeah. speak to other women how do we don't support but tear down so i think so i i choose my friends very carefully yeah <laughs> those who understand and those who will support and challenge and not tear me down uh, but mm. honest, i think but i'm also blessed to be married to gavin who is the primary carer in our home and has al- always been mm. uh, when i you know when i had my first baby i didn't take maternity leave and i came straight back because i was i was quite stunned about how having a child in london felt and how <laughs> an environment and i thought no, no i can't do this so he took six months off Uh, wow yeah you know, so i so i i guess you know i'm spoiled in that sense but i think that was god's plan too because mm-hmm. he loved that i love this so my children do think whenever i come back home they say oh the strict one is back <laughs> she has arrived quick quick <laughs> rules change <laughs> oh even that you know in the, my early understanding of our faith was a huge challenge about the male female roles um but thank god i realized that you know god had puts people together complementarily mm. um what would be deemed as a male role maybe me traveling and my husband staying home you know it flipped yeah. on that right so exactly um, yeah <laughs> yeah we all play to our own uh, our own strength and i think i what one thing that i've been saying um to my husband and my my two boys is that you know sometimes i'm not doing any unpaid care work right <laughs> no unpaid care work for mama right now because um i'm aware that i'm raising boys and i'm the only woman in this home so therefore they need to be able to do everything uh, for themselves and uh, and as you said you know i used to also do the cooking on my travels yeah. uh, but then you know they've taken on board so we kind of sharing the burden of that work yeah. in the home which i think is really important because it sets them for life as well 
Absolutely. And for their, you know, their future partners too. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, I think it's really important we model a different way. Uh, I think caring and therefore cooking because coming out of care is one thing, but cooking and you know, using the cooking example that you sure. and I talked about, cooking just because we feel guilty and we feel like we have to do it, mm -hmm. it's not the right thing. Mm, absolutely. Wow. So to um, sort of end our conversation, um, so looking back at what you have accomplished throughout your life, is there anything that you have done differently anything at all um in terms of uh, in leadership you mean yes i think um i think just to trust that femininity feminine styles ways feminine you know being wired differently i've really believed in that 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 mm. is good and that is powerful and that can be even more successful than everything i've had to, for me more than because i think because i told you about my dad yeah. i did more than thinking about me as a girl or a woman i've had to think more about me as a woman of this color this race this ethnicity in this part of the world i think mm -hmm. i have to think a lot about that and you know and that i think is the challenge for us currently in chefan how do we hold that? How do we enable, encourage, acknowledge that? Because I think, like I was saying, the e exec team is predominantly women. So for us, we have another la layer now. Mm -hmm. The diversity and the, you know, the wonderfulness, if that is even a word, mm -hmm. of that diversity to see that thrive. Mm -hmm. I think I've had to learn a lot about other traditions and cultures and thank god you know the privilege of working for tier fund has taken me to places where i've you know met other others and had to figure things out and understand and accept and listen well feel well think well mm. about others for me that's the biggest thing that i continue to hold tight i think mm. Thank you so much for this insightful and inspirational conversation. Thank you. And just to say, Sabine, what a joy, what a privilege, and what a vote of confidence to see you leading the gender work. Thank you so much. I've learned from the best. <laughs>